folks. This is Trust in the Process. My name is Travis Fritz. This is a podcast uh, that I'm doing in order to have an opportunity to talk to brewers about brewing, where they've been, where brewing's been, where it's headed, maybe, um, and other interesting topics that I find appealing. So here, here goes with Josh Rake. Josh, it has been a while since you and I have talked even like this. Um, but I know that you've been doing super interesting stuff and I'm really excited that you came on today. Yeah, it's great to see you, man. I'm, I'm super excited to have a chance to chat with you. So born and raised in Muskegon, right? Uh, parents, parents, I know at least your dad was pretty firmly entrenched in the community. He worked as a, was he a fire chief or he worked for the fire department? Yeah. He worked for the fire department for his entire career, and as yeah. a matter of fact, just recently retired. Yep. Oh, and then my mom owns a small business here in town as well, a daycare center, and she's run that, you know, for the last twenty years or so. So, you know, right. we, we've got rakes all around this town. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not. Uh, I don't think it's too much to say that firefighting and daycare are both pretty community oriented. For sure. Right. Definitely. Um, means a lot of people know your parents and you know therefore know you and kind of you you develop a family name around the town like muskegon what i mean i know this sounds like a weird question but because i just watched this documentary that we talked about before the show what year were you born in i was born in 1992 1992 okay yep. so, so that puts in a little context for me so yep at that time like muskegon was finding its footing is probably a generous way to say it i guess I yeah, I would say definitely that'd be the the, be the nicest way to put it. You know? <laughs> and, and finding its footing for, you know, a good 20 years since then and, and still, you know. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I think in the last 15 years or or maybe even a little bit more, it's inarguable that it's it really is finding its footing, right, and, and becoming sure. whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, but in the, like, 80s, 90s, I know it was kind of like the mall and the beach and, like, that was kind of it, right? <laughs> that was it. Yeah, you know, they demolished <laughs> <laughs> they demolished a lot of the old historic buildings down to Muskegon has a huge history and uh, right. had a lot of really cool historic buildings. And uh, they demolished a lot of them for that mall, which, uh, as malls do, eventually went out of business. And then that mall itself was eventually demolished and led right. to downtown Muskegon being a huge sandpit, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Unfortunate. Yeah. So I've been, uh, like I said, I watched that documentary. I did some reading last night. And I mean, Right, I know what I want to talk to you about, but I just kind of I know how important Muskegon is to you, particularly with your new brewery. It's not even really new anymore, but with your brewery, and um, and so I wanted to get a little perspective. And one of the things that came up, like let's say you know people that were focusing on kind of the history from maybe the '70s until now, one of the things that came up was you know there were all these buildings and it was cool because it was kind of like this logging port for a while. Yep. Um, and so there was money there and there were these cool old buildings and all that. So that got demolished. As you said, the mall went up. But one of the things that came up all the time was parking lots. They were like, man, they just tore down buildings and it was all parking. <laughs> For right? sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and like there's snow fencing up because the sand is blown around these empty parking lots in the city. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. what is going to happen? Right. Yeah. little like post-apocalyptic there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what did happen eventually, right? And I'm going to say this is from what I read, like around two, maybe early 2000s, like 2003 or whatever. Uh, a couple, you know, entities, sort of corporate entities and, 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 and individuals started putting money back into that area where the mall was and surrounding areas, uh, focusing on culture. And it's interesting to me to think about, and we'll talk about beer here in a minute, but <laughs> it's interesting 
it's interesting for me to think about how, um, you know, one of the things I read was essentially Sears, Sears Roebuck pulling out of the mall. Yep. Was what sort of precipitated all of this, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it was a conscious response from folks there or like a, maybe a subconscious just reaction or whatever. But when I go to Muskegon now, it's not at all about, you know, some corporate entity from somewhere else is driving money into Muskegon. It really, I mean, it feels like it's largely a bunch of people from there saying, you know, let's not wait around for someone else to save us here. Let's kind of let's save ourselves and, and sort of develop this into something that is as unique and interesting as a geographic placement of Muskegon and its history and the, and the people that live there. And I know that sounds a little overblown, but I, it's fascinating to me. No, I, I, I totally I totally agree. And I, I think that you hit the nail really on the head with that, you know, um, for the for the longest time, like I said, like I said, when I was growing up, there was no, nothing to do in downtown Muskegon. We had one big summer festival, which would you would go down there for that festival, Muskegon Summer Celebration. And then beyond that, there was there was nothing to do in downtown Muskegon. And um, and it, it does really tie back into the brewing industry. And, and part of the reason that I have always had the, the beer industry so near and dear to my heart is because I saw what um, places like Pigeon Hill and Unruly opening up did to the culture of downtown Muskegon and kind of offered a, a place um, or sort of like an anchor for downtown for other businesses to come in and fill in the gaps around them, you know. Right. And that's still happening to this day. And they, both of those spaces have been open for, I think, almost 10 years now, maybe six to 10 years or something like that. But um, that sounds right. But I really, I really see the kind of acceleration of the growth of downtown Muskegon started happening <clears throat> after Pigeon Hill and Unruly. They both opened around the same time. Yeah. And uh, I just think that the, the beer community or, or having those breweries as meeting places really helped as anchors to kind of uh, bring more development downtown and make it a safe place to develop and invest in, you know. Absolutely. 18th Amendment is there. Pigeon Hill is there. Unruly is there. Rake, the Rake Project is down there. I don't want to skip over sort of the impact that you guys have uh, or had. How is the, the community in very general terms without you know, Aaron, your dirty laundry, if you have any, I'm sure. You yeah, can. no, I, the, the, there's a lot of alcohol makers in downtown Muskegon and even in Muskegon as a whole, you know, we've got, um, all the places you mentioned, and there's all the, two other distilleries that opened just a couple of years ago, Bro and Sprig and Wonderland, okay. which are both doing awesome things in their own right. You know, Bro and Sprig is doing really, really high end, uh, rums, whereas Wonderland is, is attempting to focus on, uh, whiskeys, which is a longer term, you know, project, but, um, they, you know, but, but for a new, for a new startup, they've done an absolutely amazing job of, uh, of representing who they are and where they want to be, you know, as they continue to progress as a company. But anyways, um, at the end of the day, pretty much anybody that's involved with any of these maker companies in Muskegon, there's kind of a network of people and we all kind of help each other out, you know, and it really starts with some of the more established guys. You know, I know when I first opened, I, I really looked to Pigeon Hill uh, and the guys who own Pigeon Hill and the guys who work there is uh, a huge resource and, um, and they've never hesitated to help in any way, just like, you know, pretty much any, any other brewer that I've asked for help, but even more special being from our own hometown, you know, and Absolutely. opening in the same market, very small market with them, it wouldn't be out of, out of reason to, to think that they wouldn't want to really help their competitor, you know? Well, yeah, no, um, for sure. But yeah, in, in, in particular for me, Pigeon Hill has always been someone that I, even if I don't speak to them a lot or anything like that, I always know that if there's something that 
I might need to lean on them for, they'll always, you know, be able to have my back on it, you know, and um, and so that's been huge. And then there's other people like the Berlin Sprig, uh, the guy who owns Berlin Sprig was very instrumental in us securing our new location that we're moving to um, this spring. Uh, and that was because he just wanted another like-minded business to be uh, kind of in the same corner as him and, and, and that kind of stuff. And so a lot of it is, like you said, it's, it's small businesses trying to kind of uh, rub together, create enough friction to kind of make something bigger happen than, than the sum of us, you know. And so um, it's a long process and it's, and it's turned out to not be as easy as I thought it would be, you know. But, um, but there's a huge network of support here and then in the industry uh, as a whole, you know. And, and that's always been something that I've always felt comfortable leaning back on, you know, and has been a huge help for myself. Well, and that kind of, I mean, that, that, that takes community, that breeds community. It's like a beautiful circle when that kind of thing happens, right? I mean, it just yeah. takes that kind of critical mass of people who are willing to work together, um, even loosely, you know, uh, yeah. you know and, then, and then that just grows bigger and bigger as more people come in. And if you can keep a kind of standard of uh, uh, even an unspoken standard of kind of cooperation and all that sort of stuff, I mean, that's... That's about as beautiful as business gets, I think. I mean, it doesn't 100%. really get prettier than that, you know? Yeah, and, and especially in a town like Muskegon where we're, we're trying to grow, like you said, a critical mass. Um, the more kind of density of businesses we have in our downtown space, the more it is appealing for tourists coming here, you know, or, yes. or whatever that might be. And um, I think that everybody's kind of in on that and let's and say, like, let's let's do what we can to make this a more dense space so that there's more options for anybody who wants to be here because, uh, you know, it's not a zero sum game and people are going to nope. jump around, especially if they're coming here in the summer, you know, to see a lot of our natural, um, our beautiful natural environment here, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, that's, it's just been a, it's been a huge part of rake as we've, as we've kind of come into existence and, um, and I hope to someday, like you are, you know, be be one of those people that I can, you know, offer my, uh, I don't want to say expertise, but offer my experience to, to younger people that want to, you know, come in and do the same thing that I did, you know, so. Yeah, well, it's exciting. And I, I don't know what kind of sociopath wouldn't want to do that, honestly. Yeah, you know what I mean? sure. <laughs> Like if you, if you get a, a young person that's, uh, that's, that's interesting, you know what I mean? And motivated and worried about the right things. And I mean, if you'd been an asshole, you know, when you said, hey man, I'm leaving to start Rake Beer Project, I'd been like, okay, tomorrow's your last day, go fuck yourself. Yeah, for I mean, sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you're not. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're not. And, and, uh, and, and I was really excited to see what you did. And so, um, you, I think you were, God, you might've been on your honeymoon or something, but last year, um, around the beginning of April, uh, Camilla like booked an Airbnb in Muskegon. It was like a little two day weekend, which we usually don't get, yeah, um, sure. that we were going to go out to Muskegon and, you know, like a Turk, uh, who, you know, was born and raised <laughs> in Michigan, but didn't stay much, didn't spend much time in Muskegon. I was like, Oh sweet. Where are we going? This is for my birthday. Yep. And she's like, Oh, I got, I got an Airbnb in Muskegon. And I was like, Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do while we get right. here? <laughs> um, but of course it was really well thought out and planned and, and and it was close enough i mean i think it was within a mile um so it was walkable to to your place and a couple other places um and i got the chance to sit down and drink some of your beer 
and I liked it all, and I told you that I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and I also thought that the pub itself was cool, and um, it doesn't surprise me or anybody else who knows you that the people working there were cool and 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 seemed to understand what the mission was. Um, I think bartenders were labeling cans uh, when we were there. You know, that's <laughs> sure right. Like that's yeah. not. That's, yeah, nobody has anyone. Uh, nobody has any one job title for us. You know, yeah, all crew, and so everybody does a little bit of everything. Which, at, in the long run, uh, I I think that's the better way to go because then they know a little bit about everything and right. they can have some more um, something more to offer our customers than somebody right. who only bartends or you know that type of thing. And so, well, and, and you came on at Old Nation when we we're growing really fast, so it was sure. awesome. It was awesome to have somebody who. You know, we could just plug you in somewhere, um, really wherever, um, and, and you, and you kind of ended up on the brew house, um, meaning that you could have gone to the cellar. You were you were equally capable, um, and uh, you know, since then we have had the opportunity with a kind of moderated growth. It's just a nice, pleasant, comfortable amount of growth over the last three or four years that we can just bring people up the way that you should do it from the back end of the bottling line all the way up through the cellar and, and into the brew house potentially. That's beautiful. It is beautiful um, because it increases that cross-departmental empathy. <laughs> you know what For I mean? Sure. <laughs> well, that's different. I don't know. I don't know if my experience was, um, it's probably anecdotal, but, but my experience was that when I was trying to come up to the industry, I had to kind of jump around to be able to move into the job that I wanted. And um, a lot of the companies, I shouldn't say that, uh, some of the companies I worked for didn't necessarily, uh, it, di it didn't benefit them to move people up because then they would just have a hole in a different department, you know? And, um, and so when I was coming up, it was, it was, I had to move to a different brewery to get to the job that I wanted, you know, yep. And, um, yep. and there's nothing wrong with that. It ended up allowing me to move back to West Michigan, which I really was happy about. And then when I worked for you guys, you know, um, it was, it, it was my favorite job, but I was still able to live in West Michigan and drive and drive there, you know, which, which was a whole different story, but <laughs> it shows how much I really, really enjoyed that job. And yeah, you know, how, how well you guys treated me as an employee. And I, it's something I talk about all the time and try to emulate in my own business, you know, and that good. Is, so, yeah. Well, good. And you, <clears throat> because of that time, as it is now, I, I mean, my, my touch on brewing is, <laughs> I don't do much of it, right? I mean, I'm I'm doing business shit all the time. So you were really close to, to Nate, you know, um, in yeah. sales and whatever. But you were really close to Nate, who is one of my favorite people, and certainly one of my favorite brewers, um, and as good a brewer as I know, which is a huge luxury for me, right? For um, sure. To have somebody like that around who's not only a good brewer and a good teacher and a decent communicator but also a good leader um and can model yeah and can model good behavior and all that stuff so well i can cut you off but I, I can just remember i, I remember my first couple of days working there and just being like wow this is so cool that the head brewer is is here scrubbing the floors with me and and doing all the little shit or little stuff that um sometimes when you if you're the head brewer you don't normally need to do that type of stuff and and right. i just remember thinking wow this is really cool because um new holland for instance i i didn't really have access to the head brewer even though i was on the brew deck 
twenty you know twenty four seven and and so it was so nice to have that and uh, and to work with people who were brewers first and not and not necessarily business people you know yeah and, and yeah. so just working for you guys really opened my eyes to what to the opposite side of what a production brewery could be you know right. and 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 a production brewery with the touch of a of a brewer you know and that kind of stuff and so yeah I mean I think when you have a brewer in the cockpit it makes a big difference, right? hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it's frustrating. Uh, and, and John Cole, who is, you know, producing this podcast and doing a lot of, uh, a lot of work for old nation right now in sales and marketing, um, you know, can attest to this. It's very frustrating for salespeople when you have a brewer focused brewery, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that's why I do that job too. Right. Um, because it wouldn't do for me to not understand the kind of pressure that I'm putting on one side of the company because I'm allowing the other side of the company to, I'm doing what I think is allowing the other side of the company to do the right thing for the beer, right? For sure. Um, and if there's that representation on the production side of the company, then on the sales side of the company, it, there just has to be, right? Um, I know you want to make promises on amounts and I know you want to do this and, and that, but I'm not going to back engineer production to for sales. Sure um as long as i can right <laughs> and, that, <laughs> yeah. and that day is kind of coming soon i think where uh things have to change but anyway when uh you know when you were here uh you you talked a lot about and i've heard you talk about uh in other contexts working at jolly pumpkin and so as i understand it you started at the gallery which is in portland michigan yep West it was no, no longer uh, no longer around, unfortunately. But Bummer. Yep. those guys came in here when we were opening up, and I, I don't remember yeah. why, but they chatted and they seemed cool. Um, yeah. So you worked there, and you were just kind of tenant bar, keeping shop, or exactly, yeah. And then just yeah. uh, just kind of fell into as small businesses are. They needed somebody to help cleaning some of the tanks, you know, and yeah. and and at that point, I had I had never I never homebrewed before I even got into the beer industry you know so i kind of backed into it whereas a lot of people you know it was a it was a huge passion before they get into it i was really interested in beer and drinking beer you know but uh um, yeah but yeah and and so like any small business with um they just needed someone to help cleaning the kegs and, and or cleaning tanks and that kind of stuff and uh over time i was able to just kind of learn the, the minimal amount of brewing and stuff like that you know and uh and 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 that was what really kicked off my brewing career. I dropped out of college because I loved it so much, and uh, luckily my now wife was always understanding of and kind of saw the end goal. But yeah, I got that. I always got like, that vibe. She's like, man, you're dropping out of college to work for this little one barrel brew house or three barrel brew house over here. And what's yeah, it's not so short. Three barrels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, but you know, I. I I just really, I really knew that, that at the time that that industry was so much better for where I wanted to be in the future than the path that I was kind of on at the time, which was going into political science, you know, and um, I'm so glad I didn't pursue political science, <laughs> 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 you know, um, because I think there's more longevity in the brewing industry is, you know, but um, for myself. You know, and so. I, it, one of the things that drew me to you, um, you know, while you were here, was the sense that you, um, I think it's it's unique um, to to 
not this generation. I think this has been true for every generation, by the way. But I think it's it's unique to meet uh, younger folks who have a sense of responsibility to anything, really. Sure. Um, a sense of responsibility to, to, to carry a torch in some way. Um, yeah. That, you know, something has been passed down to them that they're responsible for keeping the same way to, in return, pass down. And, and, and I mean, follow me here. I know I'm getting a little uh, out there. But for sure, yeah. That 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 really is something that when you see it, you're like, oh, thank God, man. Right. Here's a kid who and I mean, you weren't a kid, but, you know, um, here's a kid who, you know what I mean? He gets it right. Like he gets that he has or she gets it. She gets that she has a responsibility to her community. She gets that she has a responsibility to the centuries old culture that's happening in beer, you know, or, or whatever. Um, and so. I see that in your in your pub and the way you go about things. And I think something that's interesting for me is the friction that exists between your uh, Nordic Vike beer, that uh, Nordic table beer. And I'm, I'm saying that wrong or right? Nope, that's perfectly. Yep, that's it. That was great, right? Awesome. Um, and uh, I think I got that for my first beer and Camilla got like maybe like a blood orange sour or something. Um, and they were both really good. And so then we went to your cooler to figure out what we were going to buy to kind of take and give out and, and whatever. And uh, there was a lot of stuff there. Um, and my question is this, not is fruited sour and barrel aged stout and, you know, smoothie seltzer and, and whatever valid, right? I'm assuming for the sake of this conversation that it all is, right? How do you internally, when you're thinking about what to make, I know that will it sell or not comes into play, right? For but sure. I, but outside of will it sell or not, or in combination of will it sell or not, how do you kind of internalize the thought process between a more traditional beer? Okay, Vikings notwithstanding, right? Still, you're going for traditional flavors. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and these kind of more, I mean, as we derisively call stunt beers. What, what is that? Uh, what, how do you feel about all that? Well, you know, this is a great question. This is probably the number one thing that um, I have, not, I don't know if changed my mind on, but I've come to learn the reality of, of this entire situation over the last couple of years. And it's been kind of a hard, um, kind of a hard lesson to learn. You know, when I, when I opened up, I was trying to brew everything to, and this is going to sound ridiculous, especially to you, but I was trying to be the best on Untapped. That was like my goal. You know, I was trying yeah, to be the it best. It doesn't sound ridiculous. That sounds smart for when you're starting no. out. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and we did that, you know, and I, and I was always really proud of it. But what I saw was that those beers don't necessarily, necessarily equate to high sales, you know, I mean, right. um, and so this, this last summer in particular, there was a point in this, in the spring, you know, and, and a lot of my, um, a lot of my perspective is skewed from COVID. You know, most of the time that we've been open has been only can sales. We haven't really had a tap room, Jesus. you know? And, and so, and so I, even what I know now, I don't know if this is the actual reality of the situation. It's just what has become apparent to my, to me, you know, as we've gone through things. But in the spring I, I was in my own bar drinking and I'm like, man, there's nothing that I want to drink here. I, I don't drink a lot of sour beer. I don't drink, I don't drink smoothie beers. Right. You know, those types of things. And um, and it, it was kind of a revelation. And I was like, if I'm thinking this and I'm the person who owns this place and makes these beers, <laughs> how many people are walking out of my establishment because there's nothing 
that they recognize or feel comfortable with here, you know, right. and um, at that time, our, our draft list was probably nine of the 10 beers were sour beer. And the other thing was a kombucha, you know, right. and, uh, <laughs> and so um, and so at that point, it was like, OK, I need to really, really rethink who we are and um, and not necessarily change who we are um, from like a from like a uh, base standpoint, but uh, just figure out how we can do the things that I wanted to do, um, but make them approachable. And so that's when, you know, 231, which is the our, our Nordic table beer that you're talking about, I believe, yeah. that's been around since the beginning, but um, it, this kind of realization has led me to make a lot more of those style of beers. And so right now, my favorite beer, and I'm so happy because I've been able to make three whole 10 barrel batches of it and sell them all. Is Sweet, our, that's it. Is, is our spelt uh, Cezanne, and it's a lightly dry hop spelt Cezanne. And, um, and that's my favorite beer, and it's my favorite beer to make. It's my favorite beer to drink. And it offers something that people are not going to be terrified by when they walk in the door and look at our draft menu, you know. Just yeah. like we also do a um, – which, which – this could be wordy and, and scare people as well, but my other favorite beer to make and brew of my own is is called Grow, and it's an oak-aged, uh, lightly dry hop Nordic table beer. And right. so, in any other in any other brewery, if I had the money to buy the equipment needed, these would be this would be um, a food or lager. Right. But right. for me, this was my way of trying to figure out how I can make that thing that I really liked with the minimal equipment that I, that I had myself. And, um, and when we started making those style of beers, we saw our tap room was getting fuller and people were staying around for longer. Um, and so that, that's been, uh, that's been a huge thing. And, but at the same time, they're more approachable, but I, I think that it's still, um, I think that it still represents who I am as a brewer, because, you know, you look at those beers, they're still raw. Pretty much everything we do is still a raw beer, which is, a throwback trip to old Nordic brewing techniques. Well, okay, so you and I both know what that is, but can you briefly explain yeah. what raw beer is? It just means we don't boil it, you know. Exactly. I mean, it's a no-boil beer, and um, this Nate and I had so much fun making fun of you about this. Yeah, I know, and it's and but <laughs> it, it's weird and uh, and to your face. Have, by the way. What's that? <laughs> to your face, not behind oh, your back. For sure, yeah. I would but it's something that, you know, I kind of stumbled into making as I was sort of researching the type of beers that I wanted to make. And um, and after doing a whole bunch of pilot batches and all this stuff, I realized, wow, I really like this. And it offers it, it offers something that is similar, but it's just slightly different to give people a different perspective on, whoa, this is in any other in any other brewery. This would just be a lager, you know, not to diminish lagers, but but here it's a Nordic table beer, you know, and yeah, uh, and yeah it just no, I, is, it's, it's essentially the same thing, but it's made slightly different and it's made yeah. with uh, more primitive technology, you know, which it's, is a fancy way of saying that we don't have nice equipment, you know. Um, um, I mean, yeah. look, I, I think that, uh, the, you know, you talk about how this is similar to a lager, but, it, you know, most breweries would make it as a lager if, you know, if they had the equipment and so on. Yep. I think it's absolutely what's necessary. Um it's my thought that um, the the idea of pushing the boundary with uh, like high IBU, for example, was pushed 15 years ago, right? I mean, it's been forever. That's not really a thing anymore. Um, I mean, there are still pockets of people that talk about it, but it's just not really a thing. For sure. 
Um, high ABV, similarly. I mean, I get it. There are beer geeks who trade for high ABV stouts and stuff, but really that's about the barrel and whatever weird stuff they're putting in the beer, yep. which brings it to the kind of the next phase, uh, which is more recent, I think, which is um, what crazy ass kind or amount of a given thing can you put in the beer, maybe to make it taste less like beer. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Right. In yeah. order to in order to sell uh, to get people to pay attention to you, right? For so, sure. the, and that's what all of this was, right? It was brewers going to the people who are like you were born. You were born in '92, so you don't remember this, but I'm sure you were aware of it. Um, whenever, like you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and Mudhoney and all those bands were coming out of Seattle in the early '90s, it was like almost a joke. I think it was was a joke within a few years. <laughs> how people were like, "Oh my God, this is the best thing ever!" And then as soon as these guys get on the radio, which at the time, of course, was the only media to get music to people, um, once these bands got on the radio and started charting, they were like, "Oh, you know what? Fuck these bands!" Right? A hundred percent. And and I think that happens whenever folks are passionate about something, and it's the synergy between people that are really passionate about it and just use whatever it is, whether it's music or beer. Uh, and people that are passionate enough about it to actually do it for a living, right? For sure. Um, and it's a weird, there's a there's there's this kind of weird disconnect. And this is sort of what I'm getting at when when we're talking about uh, more traditional, at least tasting beer and, and and more kind of stunty beer, is you know at some point you have to serve everybody, right? And so you have to serve this consumer that's really arch and fickle and you know, his or her first sort of their first instinct is to figure out what's wrong, right? I've been around enough breweries that I know when they're trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to get one over on you, right? For sure. Yep. And that's, you know, I don't think you're going to please that person, right? Um, I, not not any, Right. I mean, you, you can please, please, no. You yeah. can please that guy if you're at a beer festival and you talk to him for 15 minutes and then you're his favorite brewery forever, right? For sure, yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's the only way to please people like that is to just come out with crazy ass shit, and that can really get out of control if you let it get ahead of you, right? Totally. Um, and I think we've seen that a lot in Michigan, right? Like a lot. lot. Sure. Um, so I do think it's important to do what it is that you're doing and make these kind of um these kind of more traditional tasting beers. And even if I appreciate you being humble and honest and saying it's because you don't have equipment, and I know that that's true, but I also know that you could go out and get equipment if you wanted to. I have equipment that you can borrow everybody else. <laughs> I think that um, I think that it's interesting that you know you're you're you. I'm not saying you drew a line in the stand, but you're on your own two feet and you're saying this is what it is, right? Yeah. And the sort of monologues that you're having with yourself uh, are about. Am I doing the right thing by myself for this brewery and the people that I support with it and the community, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that brewing is kind of tending toward that now. And I, I, I don't know, man. I think that it's more about a brewer. It's going to be at least soon more about a brewer that you can trust um, in terms of what they make uh, and in terms of how they treat their their people generally. Sure. And and that includes the community that they live in. Um, so we sell, you know, we sell beer in 20 states now in Europe. So our community is broader than Williamston, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> but 
Williamson is the people are the people that we can touch, right? Williamson are the people we can help load groceries into their car if you know they look tired or For you know sure. we can work with weekend survival kits and 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 all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, man. It's a it's it's becoming a lot more dicey, right? If you're a production brewery who's trying to sell beer on the market in chains, yep. it's weird, right? Um, sure. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you know, but we we dipped into some compared to what you're doing very very small distribution um this last year good but, but for us it was a lot of beer that we were distributing and and you know i think that we talked a lot i never wanted to distribute my beer but right. um but the 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 reality of our tap room over the summer meant that we had to find another way to move beer you know and, and you did and, and we did and it, and, it, and it was a huge um it was a huge way for us to kind of keep moving forward and um but that doesn't mean that I'm not always constantly trying to figure out a way to get out of distributing for myself because um, it sucks. Because it sucks. Yeah, it's because <laughs> what, what happens is I'm is I'm passing um, something that I care about off to somebody else who who the distributor we work with is is great and I know that they care about our products M4. Um, but I don't know what's happening to it. I don't know how long it's sitting on different shelves and that kind of stuff and and. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm always constantly trying to find a way that we can be solely reliant upon our tap room um, would be my goal, you know, because then, like you said, it allows us to be more present in our community, our direct community. And, and, and again, it goes back to, I try to emulate the people I work for and I know to give Camilla a shout out. Yes. Seeing the stuff that she did when I was working there, just even small stuff like how she would do nice things for the employees to everything. Yep would do with the community yep. has been something that i've always said would be great but the thing is you have to be making money in order to give back you know otherwise you're just you know and so and so there's been points when we've been able to do that you know we did um we handed out meals with a food truck on christmas christmas eve one time and stuff like that but what i found is that the way for me to be the best community member i can be is to focus on on what is right in front of me here you know and, and that you know that was my thought always too, right? Yeah. Um, that if, if I give of my time, it has to be to build the company in order to give the money, which is what the community actually needs. And once we got, not actually need, it is another thing that the community needs. For sure. Um, and while we were doing that, uh, you know, Camilla was also running the pub and giving of her time um, generously. And uh that's hard, man. Like that's that's another because it's a responsibility that a lot of people don't take on, and you don't have to, right? And and it can be a not very fun. You can be yeah. giving back, but also not be having the best interactions at the same time, you know. Well, and it so, yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, we 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 give to you know we we give primarily, as you know, to and work primarily with uh, companies that support children in one way or another, right? right? So um, weekend survival kits and is our favorite, but all yep. that. Um, because we feel like, I mean, who can, who can argue with that, right? I mean, it's what, sure. what we, you know, it's what, what we want to be doing, right? It's feeding the kid is tough to make bad press out of that. Um, sure. uh, but it is also the closest and most well-run um, charity here in town for us. But in any event, um, even having done that, and even having said, well, this is pretty vanilla. I don't think anybody can get angry about that. That's not true. They absolutely do, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. right and there's a certain kind of person who you and i both know growing up in you know rust belt midwest communities 
um, who is, you know, who does believe that uh, the world and their community is a zero sum game. For sure. uh, and if they're not winning everything and if someone else is not losing at the same time, then they are somehow losing. For sure. Um, you know, why don't you give me your money? <laughs> yeah. Right? You're yeah, not a kid. Right. Uh, but anyway, I, I think I think there are a lot of interesting paths to go down with community work and charity and a lot to go down with breweries, too. Um, but in terms of I, I kind of want to get back to the idea of, of how you came up uh, in brewing and and uh, and parallels to some of my favorite brewers and myself uh, that I saw and see now in the way that you're working, which is um, you said, you know, you had to hop around to get the spot that you wanted. Right. For sure. So obviously that is, you know, millennia old and they call that being a journeyman, right? Yep. <laughs> That's what that is. Um, right. I mean, we don't have a system for it here in the U.S. I they think do. that was my, I think that was my title, right? When I got hired. Brewer. Yeah, it was. Journeyman brewer. Yeah. Yeah. You were a journeyman brewer. We, yeah. I mean, essentially what that means is we'll pay you what we said we pay you, but we're going to put you wherever you fit. Right. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, um, you know, that's something that I've found, um, you know, in the last 15 years has been not by everybody. Right. But that's been abandoned. It's not really part of the brewer culture anymore. Right. For sure. um, yeah. And I've said a lot that, you know, like difference between lager and, and, and crazy ales is different between classical music and or jazz and, and punk. Um, and I think that's true, right? Because I think there's a certain set of rules that you need to really learn and work within in order to make those traditional beers accurately that don't exist for those ales. It's not that one is better than the other. For but sure. that, that idea of punk is the idea that, you know, you pick up a guitar and then you can change the world with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yep. I, you know, that kind of pervaded into the brewing community in the last 20 years or so slowly and then more quickly in the last 10 I don't think it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that you have to work under somebody who is better than you for a while. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Well, and, and, go ahead. Yeah, and, and as you know, like I, when I got into the beer industry, my, my goal right from when I first started working at the gallery was I want to do this by myself one day. Yep. And so my, my perspective was always, how can I work under the person that's going to help me accomplish that goal? Yep. The, in the best way possible, you know, and so yep. e even when I got hired at Jolly Pumpkin, I don't think I, I don't think I fully um, understood kind of the magnitude of what Jolly Pumpkin was to the original American brewing scene, you know. And, but but as I as I worked there, that's you know, that's where just the culture there and the people that worked there cared so much about Jolly Pumpkin beer in, in particular, the craft beer seen as a whole and then upholding what you know was kind of started there and and kind of bringing that into the future you know and um and that that's where i really i went from being like a casual beer fan that wanted to open a brewery to like wow i really i'm really really interested in um how we got here you know like right. you know and and why and and is this going to be the thing that is this is this style that's a historic style? Let's talk about barrel aged wild beer. Yeah. Is this going to be something that's going to exist in the future, or you know, where where does this fit in? And um, 
and I, I just really attribute my time at Jolly Pumpkin to me, in, if you want to call it like a hipster personality. Like I was just like, I want to do whatever is the coolest thing and the most kind of deep cut, I guess, would be the thing, you yeah. know, and like. Um, and and so and it was such a great experience there because the other people working there with me cared about it so much. I mean, like, you know, the, and, and it was pervasive. If we weren't at work, we were at each other's houses bottle sharing and stuff like that, you know, and um, and part of that was because I lived by myself at the time and, you know, didn't really have yeah. anything else to do, you know. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but but yeah. And I, and I think that. Um, well, I mean, however, the stars align. Right. Yeah. Um, you get to you get to work for a guy in Ron Jeffries, who is, I think it's one of those yin yang things. Right. Maybe genius is not the right word, but a real smart guy. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and 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 really earnest. You know what I mean? Yes. Yep. And he was um, and he was back to what I said about, you know, working with yourself and Nate was Ron was brewing every day and he was he was touchable, you know, like he was someone that um, I could personally go and ask questions to. And sure. um, and he was on the floor with us and that kind of stuff. And then working for him and then realizing, wow, this guy is kind of one of those um, kind of pillars of American craft beer in his own way yeah. was really was really a cool experience because I was able to just walk up to him and ask him a question about something I had, you know, whereas right. other people would have to listen to a podcast or whatever it might be. And um and so yeah working for ron was was really one of the, the first experiences for me where i saw kind of what i wanted to do in the future which was what he was doing which was he he had his 10 barrel system which is what he brewed everything on and he would typically brew um i think he would typically brew rojas and the more special jolly beers you know and um, yep. and i just thought man that's so cool this guy he's had this company for so long he still enjoys it so much that he's in here with us, you know, when he could easily be in Hawaii or whatever else he's doing. And man, that was just something that was really, really, as a young kid coming into an industry and wanting to, like you said, sort of pay respect to the past. That was just, man, it just set me up for kind of success moving forward in that, you know? Right. Well, and somebody who's a role model for me too, Ron. Is, yeah. I mean, Ron had been around when I came into the industry 20 years ago, man. For sure. Um, and I don't know for how long, but to me, it seemed like he'd just been here forever, right? Everybody yeah. knew Ron, right? Yeah. Um, he was a he was a crusader, right? I mean, he sure. was one of the very few brewers. In any given snapshot of time, there's always only a couple brewers that are, I think, saying, you know what? Fuck that. I'm doing this and I'm going to for be sure. as successful as I can with it. Um, but there's going to be a point where I have to change what it is that I'm doing in order to become more successful. And I don't mean change it in terms of make a style that you don't normally make or whatever. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like saying, okay, well, fuck it, I'm going to sell out, right? For sure. Uh, um, which is a totally different thing, I think. Yep. Um, but I do uh, think that after that, you went, how long, you, it doesn't really matter how long you were at Jolly Pumpkin, but you went to New Holland for a while after that, right? Yep. Yeah, I was at New Holland for about a year and a half, two years-ish, you know. And, and you were and, doing and, mostly cellar work? No, I was, I was, well, I was doing cellar work, but I was, I was basically running the brew house by myself. Oh, shit. Working, yeah. Which okay. was, which was, again... It's not the type of brewing that I ever wanted to do. You know, that type of mm -hmm. brewing is is really similar to factory work, you know. And, yeah. and and when I got hired, they made it very clear, you know, don't 
think you're going to write a recipe here. You know, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to do anything creative, but you're just going to be here. You're going to clock in, make your hundred barrels of beer a day and then clock out, you know, and. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's a smart idea. Abandon hope all you do. <laughs> and, and, and um, I think just like the, the cultures that old nation and jolly reflected the stance of, you know, the owners in there working, enjoying it, that type of stuff. I think New Holland, in a way, struggled with with um, culture a little bit for myself well, because there was nowhere for me to be excited about, you know. <laughs> and um, and I think that I think that things have changed from what I understand there now to an, to an extent. And so I'm happy to hear that. But um, but at the end of the day, it was it was the best experience I could have had because I got to just I was just you know, baptized in fire, if you want to say that, like, Every I, day. my first day there, my first day there, I, they put me on the 50 Brow Brew House and basically said, you know, here's how to do it. I'll be up in my office if you, if you want to come <laughs> grab me for anything. And I'm just like, whoa, man, this is, their, their brew house is a, is a crazy brew house. Or at least at the time, it was a very convoluted structure. It was all automated, but just manual enough that it made it really, really Yes, right. Because you, you had to remember, right? Yeah. What do I have to? Right. I don't have to remember sure. everything. It's but, harder. It's hard to remember a few. It's harder to remember just a few things than it is to remember everything when you're in a hundred percent. And um, and it was great. I mean, it was it was probably the most learning I ever did at any job because right. there's no option not to learn. You know, and, right? Um, and the amount of beer that they were, we were producing at that time there was 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 a lot of beer and um, yeah. And there were schedules. And so I'm so thankful for that time as well, because um, I think it showed me what that what that part of the industry is like. And it really made me comfortable with just the idea of brewing beer. You know, I mean, right. I think it can be a brewing beer can be a very um, kind of scary the first couple of times you do it, you know, <laughs> at a production level, you know, and, yeah. uh, and this just made me so comfortable with it that I was that I was, you know, I was I was. I was excited to to go out then and you know and, and learn more and and expand my horizons you know that kind of stuff. I think I think that you can I think that upon meeting a brewer right that you never met before, you can get a picture for whether or not they've had that kind of experience for sure or not right away right oh, yeah <laughs> they're much more humble. There's much more of like a graveyard humor vibe to the way they talk about beer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's blue collar work, man. That's, that's, yeah. It's, it's a factory job, you know? And, yeah, it is. It and, is. And it's something I respect, you know? I, I wish that there was a union to re represent the blue collar work that's being done. But, uh, I, but I, I do. Be, I, you know? I mean, as a business owner, it's stupid of me to say this, but I do too. Uh, because yeah, sure. you, you know that, you know, for, for me, the, I mean, this is about making beer and making money and all the kind of things you're supposed to do when you own a brewery, but it's also selfishly benefits me and I think benefits the community to make sure that anybody who comes here, works and leaves here represents a certain philosophy, if not a certain way of executing that philosophy. Does that make For sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I don't get out and talk about it much. Um, I mean, I have the opportunity to, and I just don't, because I think there's so much flux in the brewing industry right now. I mean, a guild sure. meeting, for example, you'd expect that, and they've asked me to do this, but 
I mean, I'm not going to do that in front of all those guys that have, you know, three, five, seven barrel breweries, man. We are not serving the same master, you know, for sure. Um, so I don't know, man, it's, it's, a, it's a weird time. And I guess having touched that kind of perspective and been a part of it in two different places. And by the way, I'm so happy to hear that you're making a Saison because you made one with us, right? And it was, awesome. um, it was great. Um, and we went right up from through the pilot system into production. And I think you were a part of that process throughout the entire thing. Yep. And and to and just to give you your credit where it's due, that that process was such a it was such a light bulb going off in my head. Right. It's not that hard. Well, well, because and that's what you kept saying to me, because I, I remember coming to you with the recipe and you're like, well, what do you think? You know, it's not that it's not that hard, you know, like, you know what you're doing, do it. And and that kind of was like, wow, man, if I can do that with these guys, I can I can do it on my own in my little own shop and, and be, 100%. you know, and um, and that I still I still remember, come you know, working on that recipe and how proud I was when it came out. I've made sort of a variation on that beard. Good. Not the same thing, but we made like a Brett version of kind of the idea of that. Just yeah. because I just because I really it was such a special thing for myself and my career, you know. Yeah. Because Good. that was my first time working for a production brewery where um, I was offered the respect and leeway to um, be creative, you know. Right. Well, that's I mean, always that's... what I wanted the most, you know, and so right. Yeah. And that was two old guys, you know, Nate and I sitting in the office going, I think Rake's going to get fucking antsy if we don't let him go. <laughs> sure. beer in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and you were ready, obviously. And I mean, shit, we're not trying to come up with all the ideas, man. It's burdensome. For um, sure, yeah. You know, so to have somebody that was that on fire, that wanted to do it, um, that would, right, that would just kind of have the guts to go for it. Um you know, the best thing to do in that situation is to be like, look, man, you're going to give this a rip. And if you fuck up, it's 10 barrels of beer. It doesn't matter. We'll try it again. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, that's what I expect. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, and I mean, what that beer saisons are infamously hard to sell on the market. It, so it did OK. Um, yeah. But what I was most proud about was that it just was a good. It was dry honey saison. Right. Is what we ended up. That's talking. good. Yeah, and the honey, and that's all the honey did, which is all honey actually fucking does. Is <laughs> sure. out the beer, you know. That's the hardest part, though. You put the honey on the label, and people want it to be a sweet, even if you say dry, right on the on the label. And we did not enough <laughs> honey, you know. Right. Yeah. Not enough honey. Those are my dude. We can talk about yeah. that. Forever. Oh, for sure. Uh, but, uh, anyway. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 uh, to, you know, not to be too maudlin about it, but I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you're doing. Um, and I think it is awesome. Uh, and I want it to be as successful as possible. And you know, that if there's anything I can do, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to, but I got my own, you know, kids and brewery and all that stuff. And I'm not always paying attention. So all I'd ask is for you to ask instead of wait for me to offer. So, uh, describe where in Muskegon you are, where you're moving into in the spring yeah. and, you know, anything that you'd like to say to sell the brewery. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, our current, our current tap room right now in, uh, winter 2022 is in, it's in the North end of downtown Muskegon, uh, tucked around the back of a, of a big building kind of hidden away. It's kind of like a cool little, uh, underground beer club down there you know and uh we have in the summer we have a huge outdoor space that's beautiful we do concerts and yoga all sorts of events out there and um 
and and the space has been great and uh over the last year or so we kind of realized it was time to grow out of that space and uh and find ourselves in sort of a more centrally lo lo centrally located spot in muskegon and so um we were able to find a we were able to find a space right downtown muskegon right in kind of the central part of downtown muskegon in a brand new building it's going to be a brand new you know six seven story apartment building um and we're actually partnering with another local company, which is Rolling Stone Woodfired Pizza, which to me, some of the best pizza in the state of Michigan. These guys are absolute maniacs about pizza. They are pizza nerds to the furthest extent, you know. Um, and awesome. so I'm super excited. And so uh, you know, we'll have we'll have food. These guys are going to do their regular, you know, wood-fired pizza, all that kind of stuff, as well as a full menu. And um, so I sit down in your bar, your new your new bar. Yeah, I grab a beer and I can get a pizza, and I don't. My ass doesn't have to leave the stool. Is that the exactly? Deal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which has been, you know, to to be entirely transparent, that's always been our biggest kind of downfall at our current location. Is is one? It's it's hidden away. You know, two. We we haven't. We don't have the opportunity to have a kitchen in that in that space. And um and in a, in a smaller time, especially in the smaller town, especially in the off season, people want food with their beer. And that was kind of what we realized and said, you know, let's let's go give people what they want. And we had already been collaborating with this pizza company for, well, since we opened. And we just had been, we'd be doing uh, pairings with them, but people would have to go get their pizza and then bring it down to our tap room. And so we've worked with these guys for years now. And um, it was just such a nat natural choice to kind of get them into a brick and mortar first and foremost, you know, kind of establish them in town. And then... Uh, allow us to offer food through and, that, and when know. do you when do you wish then to open i'm not going to ask yeah. when our opening <laughs> you know it, it's um the the original idea was sometime in march or april but we're we're really looking at kind of realistically in may um, okay to open the new space you know there's there's obviously as you know so many things that go into that which which for us means all new licenses and everything and uh, uh. and that and that and that can take uh a lot of unexpected time but we're on we're on track to be on time okay. um the, the like i said the building's brand new so there's a lot of you know the white box isn't even done on it yet so there's a lot of stuff that has to fall into place but um but we're hoping for may because there's a lot of stuff that happens right on right in front of where we'll be at in the in the summer and we really want to be there you know we yes that's the goal is to be there for that you know so yeah so it's a it's a super exciting thing kind of nerve-wracking um you know i am you yeah know, but you I'm do sure. it and then it's done right i mean it's one of For those sure. things you know 100 percent. um and that is you know you know it's 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 rough right some days or weeks when you're like it it's never gonna be fucking may right. i keep getting people start. asking me people are what's going what's new absolutely nothing we're just <laughs> waiting on architectural plans we're waiting on the licenses yeah you know and it'll be that way until there's everything has to be done at once you know and, right uh, yeah and in a way it's just like starting a brewery all over again which is kind of fun and 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 for me i, I look at it as kind of rig beer project sort of growing up in a way and um and kind of leaving the space you know we, we were strapped for cash when we opened we were we didn't have any other options than our little basement dwellers dwelling spot that we're in now and um and this is kind of us saying you know this is uh we've kind of had a couple of years to stumble and figure out who we are and we're going to take all of that we learned into this new space with with our beer, with um, with our our culture and our approach to customer service, all that kind of stuff. You know, 
Well, everybody loves a winner, man. And uh, it's good to see that you're growing and uh, and coming up. And uh, like I said, I'll say it again. I'm, I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing. And I'm thankful uh, that you stayed in Michigan and you kept this ethic in Michigan. Um, and uh, and I, I, I have a sense that if this is going to work for anybody, it'll work for you um yeah, for for whatever that's worth to you and uh also in terms of um you know in terms of resources man whatever attorneys equipment you know whatever it's at your disposal if you need some help you get in a pinch you get in you know if there's a bind or whatever just let me know and uh we'll jump in no problem awesome well thank you so much travis can't tell you yeah. Just, man yeah I will. Uh, I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you soon, and I will keep my eyes open for the opening. Now that I know that Muskegon is cool, yeah, um, <laughs> I will be there. Uh, you know, as soon as I can when y'all uh, when y'all pop the doors open. So I'm excited for you, and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next for you, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again for having me on, man. Great to chat with you. We got to do it more often. Yeah, I would love to, man. We'll talk to you as soon as we can. All right, that sounds great, man. Peace. All right, later, dude. to get different perspectives on work, on philosophy toward work, and on the brewing industry specifically. Right. But right. for me, this was my way of trying to figure out how I could make that thing that I really like with the minimal equipment that I, that I had myself. Yeah, you would, you would keep making the same thing over and over and over and just little incremental changes here and there to until you finally got it dialed into exactly how you wanted it and locked it. Your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't earn.